welcome to episode four of the Just Follow Jesus podcast, where we believe that a 35-minute sermon once a week just isn't enough to do justice to the richness of scripture and what that means for faithful living in this present age. So this week, we are thrilled, stoked, delighted to welcome Nick Gilmore to the podcast for the very first time. Beloved by our community, Nick has served as our pastor of Mission and Community Impact for over eight years. He and his wife, Verity, live in Oceanside and have three incredible adopted children, Mo, Tino, and Evie. Before he joined the leadership of Our Jesus Community, he served in multiple roles, including national manager for Christian Surfers Australia. He planted a Bible college in Coffs Harbor, New South Wales, Australia. And as far as his learnedness, he has a BA in English and History, as well as a Bachelor's of Law from the University of Western Australia. He also has a Master's of Global Christian Leadership from Fuller Theological Seminary, and to round it off, a Doctorate of Ministry and Church Planting from Gordon-Conwell Seminary. Nick is what is known as an underachiever. Both he and his wife are ordained in the Australian Christian churches, but perhaps most importantly, the thing that qualifies him for this podcast conversation this week is that Nick would without question be my number one pick if I were assembling a trivia team. Now, for this week's conversation, we dive deeper into the text of Mark, and we build on Nick's recent sermon that was entitled, Obedience is Thicker Than Blood. In this week's conversation, we explore the crisis of thin relationships and covenant community, the tension between holding compassion and an accountability, the definition of temerity and quintessence for your vocab words of the week, and asking the question, are there modern day equivalents of Herodians? What does calling in versus calling out look like? How do we talk to conspiracy theorists? And then a slow lightning round at the end where we touch briefly on Demons 101, Sabbath Fundamentals, and the tragedy of modern slavery. As you can tell, it is a rich conversation this week. We hope that this deepens, inspires, invites, encourages, and challenges you to not give up, but to lean further into joining us as we learn to just follow Jesus. Okay, Nick, welcome to the Just Follow Jesus podcast. Uh, (laughs) We're thrilled to get to sit down and pick your brain a little bit more. Thanks, first of all, for just the the blood, sweat, and tears you poured into sitting with God's word, Mark 3, and uh, bringing a fantastic sermon to us this last weekend. I was really, I was sad to not be there in person, but I was richly blessed listening to it this morning. So just grateful for you and the particular way that it seems like you um, can speak things into and over us that uh, other people can't. And I know that's a hallmark that I've heard from all sorts of different people about you and the gift of teaching and preaching that you bring to our church. So thanks. Don't let that go to your head. (laughs) It's very, very kind uh, to say that, but it's always a blessing, always a blessing to have time to be in, in the word, you know, and to, uh, to think what to bring. Mm. Uh, I always feel it's a little paltry, um, but uh yeah, so it may be on picking the brain, it might be slim pickings today, uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, I'll do what I can. <laughs> well, there's no there's no pressure. Um, yeah, it could go wonderfully and it could go poorly. It could go short, it could go long, it doesn't really matter. We're just yeah. trying to create a space for us to engage a little bit deeper. So I think the first question, um, if people have been listening, they know that there's kind of three movements to this. There's a, a space for us to just reflect and for you to reflect pastorally, hey, you just you had the unique um, service to offer us this weekend of bringing God's word and um, and wrestling with with him and with the text asking on our behalf, what is the specific word for God for us, the people of God? And so I just want to ask you this question. Hey, did you have a sense of how God was moving in and through the church? Did you hear any stories or see um, how, you know, what scripture had to say to us touched people's hearts or minds this weekend? Yeah, I, I think I did. I sensed that I did. And unusually uh, for me, because typically uh, that comes about after the fact. Mm. But but this week it felt like uh, something that, that God put in my heart early on as I was as I was preparing. And it was 
the what what became the the title, the working title, you know, of the of the uh, of me sharing was mm-hmm. you know um, thicker than blood. But from it was from the message translation. I think it's uh, verse thirty four um, where he says obedience is thicker than blood, and it's in the context of covenant community, those whom Jesus is in covenant with, mm. and um, and how how from that grows the strongest of bonds. And um, and that sort of really connected me uh, in a really actually pretty visceral way at the time. I just thought, oh, gosh, that really is what I feel that the Lord's talking to us about. Um, and because I think that always we need to be renewing our the depth and breadth of our understanding of covenant community, mm. and I think it's especially so at the moment, you know, coming out of the, the pandemic and everything. But even even before that, I think we have a, a very uh, poor grasp on that in, mm-hmm. in the Western church and, and perhaps, um, you know, uh, in California, more than most places, mm. we go from place to place. We're not deeply rooted. Mm. Um, our, our relationships are very thin. You know, and Joseph, you've talked before about thick relationships and, and the paucity of that in our lives, you know, we, we, we pay a cost. There's a lot, there's a lot of isolation there's a lot of um, existential loneliness and relational yeah. uh, fragmentation and all that. And so so I, I sensed that early on. Normally it feels like it's after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say I'm not a terrifically prophetic person, but, um, but, yeah, this week it felt like that actually leading in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you just uh, got impressed upon you a sense or it just highlighted to you the fact that the reality – we most experience is not of rich covenant community of not, not of thick relationships. Mm. Um, but that the people like as a people, we are spent, we're stretched thin, we're mm. lonely or isolated. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. The, the tyranny of tyranny of busyness mm-hmm. uh, for certain adds to that. But I also think, um, the ease with which we move from one social circle to another. Mm-hmm. I mean, having, many friends and things there's, there's good aspects of that, that we, in terms of outreach and, and the, the many, you know, connections we can have to honor the Lord missionally and so on. But what I'd say is I think, um, lots of folks, I've just been noticing lots of folks when, when I ask them, um, you know, and I, I'm pretty direct person, I suppose, but I, I even ask, so tell me, uh, who would you die for? Like, tell me the list, you know, and, mm-hmm. And lots of folks, when you're sitting having coffee with them, they just stare at you blankly. They say, well, you know, my wife and, uh, you know, at least one of my three kids maybe. And, <laughs> you know, and, um, and, and, but, but this, it's a very short list. Mm. And, uh, and I, I am, um, I am persuaded um, that, that if we're not willing to die for something, we're not going to be willing to live for it mm. as it is with Christ, you mm-hmm. know, um, and, I pray that no one listening to this, nor myself, you know, um, uh, comes to the final um, fork in the road of martyrdom. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'd say is that if we're unwilling at that point to to die for the sake of Christ, then I think I think we would also be unwilling to live for the sake of Christ. And mm. likewise, in our in our um, earthly relationships, in our you know, in in spiritual family, we mm-hmm. we just don't have that. Um, mm. I think there's periods of history where those things have been deeper. I've noticed a paradigm of that is, um, or seems to be, when people have a, a, shom, a common shared endeavor and one that costs um, deeply, costs them with sacrifice, mm. um, that that often they have that those deep bonds. So maybe another factor in why we're weak at it is because we just have everything um, at mm. our fingertips, and we can dive from one social setting to another. We can unfriend people, um, you know, on Facebook or even literally. Yeah. And I just not see them, just sort of cancel them out. Oh, they're a bit annoying. I won't see them anymore. And we've lost, in doing so, we uh, lose the benefit of growing through dealing with folks who might annoy us and heaven forbid that that we might annoy, Mm -hmm. you know. (laughs) Um, And uh, and so, yeah, I think we're the poorer for that. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I never annoy anybody, Nick. <laughs> well, you are not d- an annoying person. We love you, Joseph. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a number of people you could ask that would disagree with you. Uh, but 
So just to put you on the spot then, um, how big is how big is the list of people that you'd die for? Uh, it's less than 20. I've, mm. I've done it because I, with folks that I disciple, actually, um, when I talk about about fellowship or covenant community, that that's sort of the, the starting question that mm. I typically use. Mm-hmm. And I've forgotten the exact number, but it's, it's you know, it's less than 20. Yeah. Um, there's folks who are close and on the cusp, and I won't say those people who are on each side of that. <laughs> <laughs> and I suppose it's a fluid line, you know, is it, uh, but um, but the point being not so much about you know the uh, exactness of of the list, but about is that something that that there's plenty of folks in my life who I'm willing to give up gratifications for. I'm I'm willing to sacrifice mm-hmm. for. This is a normative thing. Yeah. Um, if we if we have that, it seems to me that life is is richer. Yeah. Mm. So is that how you would define covenant community? It's yeah, that's it's probably the really hardcore definition of that. Mm. I mean, there's gradations though, right? Because um, you know, there's folks uh, who we are in forms of covenant community with. When when I say covenant, it's it's from the the Old Testament um, term. It, it's something covenant is something more than a contract, which has you know the quid pro quo associated with it. The, that I do this and you do that. Like, you know, I pay you 200 bucks, you change a tire in my car. You mm-hmm. know, I'm not going to give you the 200 bucks if you haven't changed the tire and you won't give me the tire if I don't, mm-hmm. you know, do, give you the 200 bucks. And, and so, so contracts, um, sorry for dorking out here, but it's my legal training, but contracts are things that are, that are bilaterally binding mm-hmm. only as long as they're bilaterally adhered to. Mm. The covenant uh, of the type that we're talking about, there's different kinds, but biblically uh, a covenant is something that is bilaterally binding even if it's only unilaterally adhered to. Mm. So, I mean, you think about you think about the Lord and his redemptive work and, and atoning work in our lives. I mean, I fall short of that every single day, yet that doesn't cause him to, there's no break in the, in the covenant. Mm-hmm. You know? I can through extreme measures, turn my back and, and annul the covenant. Uh, that's for sure. It's not meaningless. Mm-hmm. It's not just that he's the, you know, the wishing tree hereafter. That's not how it works. But, um, uh, but I, um, but, uh, and, and likewise in human relationships, ones where the best of marriages, you don't just love your spouse when they're loving you. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't work out in my experience of almost 30 years, um, being married to an amazing uh, person. Um, that can't be the case. That's that's not so. And same in our friendships, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so yeah, w- when I say that, that's what I'm drawing on when I use mm-hmm. the term covenant uh, community. Um, and actually, I've forgotten your question at this point. I've been uh, bloviating so much. What's <laughs> your question? <laughs> uh, well, you know, freedom to bloviate is in part what this space is about. Uh, there's much that's worthy of bloviation. I don't know if that's a word, but uh, it, it, you more or less answered it. It was you talk about in the sermon, you know, in Mark three, mm-hmm. you use it as an occasion to uh, to challenge us as a, as a community on our perspective or our posture towards this idea of covenant community. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, you've uh, you, you mentioned just, yeah, the pain that you feel when you see friends who, you know, kind of church hop for lack of a better term. And there's all sorts of different good and bad reasons um, why people do that. Yeah. And, and, you know, I will say that I come from a, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of perplexed about how, how frequently that happens, you know, having been here for eight and a half years, we have folks who are friends who ostensibly seem spiritually mature but in the time that we've been here, that they have been a part of three or even four different uh, Jesus communities, mm. you know. And I, they're, they're, I'm not saying there's no reason why someone uh, would ever leave community, break community. There's, you know, if there's heresy, if there's rank kind of pastoral malfeasance or even misfeasance, you know, um, there, there are there are. I'm not saying there's never reason. But but typically, the, the reasons what the folks give are 
in the end, pretty superficial. Oh, a bunch of my friends went somewhere else or, you know, I didn't like the music or, you know, there's someone said something uh, that I, that I disagreed with. And, and for me that they're, they're not, they're not real reasons, mm. you know? Um, and, and what it has meant is the person is uprooted and as, as you can do with a, a tree, like a rootling, you can pull it out by the roots and plant it somewhere else. But if you've noticed anyone who's a, you know, green thumb here knows that the plant won't thrive. There's mm-hmm. a period of time after that, mm-hmm. a season or two where the plant just won't thrive because its roots aren't in, it's not getting the nourishment it needs. And, and then, you know, and then if you do it again, uh, you can uproot it and then plant it somewhere else again. The, the same thing will happen. Mm-hmm. If, if, we are, to, and I believe we are to be, you know, uh, like out of uh, Psalms 1 and Jeremiah 17, the, the tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream, you know, it has no fear when heat comes, its leaves are always green and it never fails to bear fruit. If we're to be like that, then being rooted and blooming where we're planted mm-hmm. and there's going to be things that we disagree with. I mean, heck, I, I uh, think being in covenant does not mean agreeing with everything that the other people mm-hmm. other other person or people think because for goodness sake I don't agree with myself from five years ago I <laughs> you know hopefully we're all being sanctified and growing um, that's not enough of a of a reason uh, in fact it's enriching in Australia there's this this old saying we used to say there's always your position my position and the truth right <laughs> <laughs> and so you know, growing and having diversity in, in covenant communities uh, is a key part of it. But, yeah, I, I do see that happening. Mm. And um, and it's hard. It's, it's actually hard as a pastor to talk about that because people um, feel like you might be coming into the conversation in a sort of power over yeah. uh, way and, and there's all the connotations, oh, they're just saying that because they want to buff out the numbers in the church or the, you know, the tithing budget or something. And, and – and earnestly, that's not my heart. It, it's actually out of a, a deep um, um, pastoral s- sense of loss that I that I think that those people feel mm. over time, and especially if they're serial in mm-hmm. in doing that, um, it, it pays. You pay a cost, and your and your kids pay a way bigger cost. Yeah. Um, you know, and I've even heard that one. I've heard the justification of, oh, we went to this other church because, you know, little Johnny or little Lucinda was not doing well in, in a youth group or something like that. And I, it seems like a good, on the surface, it seems like a good reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think, I don't think it goes well. Apart from anything else, little Johnny and little Lucinda really need to not um, see themselves as the center point of the universe. Mm. For everything to pivot around them is a bad message. Just parenting wise, that's a bad mm-hmm. that's a bad message. And and the trouble comes, of course, because teenagers, uh, you know, and, and kids are even more flopsy than we are as adults. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're like, oh, we went to this place, but actually I've heard they're giving out free ice cream at that other place, and then they <laughs> want to go to the other place, and then what do you do? Mm-hmm. You know. So I'm um, anyway. Yeah, it's um. I'd say I'd say seeing seeing that played out many times over and seeing the cost of that and seeing how that is one of the few things but that's one of the things that that kind of termites and undermines mm. covenant community I'd yeah. say I'd say there's a there's a you know a sadness there with me yeah yeah well it almost sounds like there's it's hard to live a fruitful life it's hard to bear much fruit uh if you're not deeply rooted yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that applies to trees just as much as it does to people. And right. mm. it's, I think, so much, we're we're so deeply conditioned by the culture of uh, expediency, of instant gratification, of consumption. I was going to say consumerism is a big, is a big part of it. Yeah. And that was why, um, I think, on the weekend, at least at one of the services, I as I was inviting the, the worship team back out, I just had this sense and I said, you know, they're not a band, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. They're, um, they're actually, uh, they're the leaders of worship. We are all worshiping. Mm-hmm. And at one of the services, might have been the night one, um, I, I think I said something like, um, and 
and I'm not the be all and end all, the you know, to here to preachify at you. Mm-hmm. I'm just a guy opening the word and doing the best I can to to nut through it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's all of us. Yeah, you know. Anyway, mm. I loved I loved the distinction. Um, I know you did that at the I listened to the 10:45, I think, and mm. you you made that nuance, and I really appreciated it because language does matter. Language mm. uh, and the way that we use it does shape how we understand ourselves, how we uh, understand the responsibility to participate rather than to consume. If the, if the church is going to have any sort of lasting impact or vitality on, on culture, it's, it can't be because that we are just passive consumers. Mm. Uh, we have to be uh, participants. I mean, there's that's the gospel is the grand scandalous invitation to participate in the life of God and the ridiculous work that he's doing mm-hmm. to try and love in a covenant way. Like you said, um, love when it hurts, especially when it hurts a broken mm-hmm. world, broken people, broken marriages, broken families. Mm-hmm. So I love, I love that you spent so much time this weekend and in this message and in Mark three, inviting us to reflect on, Hey, am I, I know for me listening to it, it definitely caused me to pause and to think, Hey, where are areas in my life where my commitment to people, to relationships, to, um, spaces where I can serve rather than I can like consume or Mm. receive where, where do I need to reinvest? Where do I need to perhaps be rebuked and to actually, not just say, hey, Nick, Nick, oh, that sounds great, but to cut certain things out of my life mm. because they're just taking up, uh, you know, so much of my time and attention in ways that pull me away from other people rather than inviting me to give my my life to other people. Mm. Yeah, well, God's good, hey, if anything could come out of the sermon like that. Um, one thing you are just saying made me think there was something that I, you know, I, I think when you preach, um, I'm not as um, sophisticated or succinct with my words as, as Ryan, and he's just wonderful. So I find there's lots of things I need to leave out. Um, one of the things this weekend, um, actually sort of deeply personal because something my father said to me, but the, the, just what you said just jogged yeah. my mind on it. <clears throat> he said the, it's the movement from dependence uh, to independence or there's an alternative uh, interdependence. But, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he was talking about it in a, um, he said to me when I was about the age of my uh, oldest son and I've had this conversation with him as well because um, he loved his, his pa, um, still loves his pa, his pa's with the Lord. But I, I said, um, as dad did to me, that, you know, when you're a child, you're in that place of dependence and, and, and we all come um, to the Jesus community like that, if we're babes in Christ, you know, we've just, we're just figuring things out. We're just coming to the Lord. We're understanding grace. We're awash with the newness of it with, Oh, what's this book? It's the Bible, you know, and what is, you know, praying. It's like talking out loud and God listen, you know, early, early stages. It's right and proper that, that we're kind of postured in that place of receiving, primarily receiving. Um, the trouble comes if, if that's over time, you don't want someone to be in that place, um, just like you don't want a 25-year-old um, still staying at home and and sitting there playing Nintendo while you go out to work. It's unhealthy for them, you know, like mm-hmm. being in that place of, of dependence. And and so typically, though, what happens with children and sometimes in use a spiritual, you know, uh, analog we're talking about, that we can move to a place of independence. And one of my systematics... Um, Lecturers, systematic theology lecturers used to say that um, that independence uh, is kind of the base. It's like the foundational sin. Mm. It was Satan's sin, uh, and and it's our sin that mm-hmm. we think we can be independent. I don't need you. Mm-hmm. Definitely don't want you, but I don't even need you. You know, we we say to one another um, in our in our black little hearts, and and of course that um, that's a bad alternative to dependence. Like even dependence is better than independence. Right. But actually the, the hope is with maturation that we grow to interdependence where, you know, Joseph and as a friend and, uh, and as, a, as a thinker and a pastor, you know, I can rely on you and your intuition and your sense on things and, and hopefully that I can at times do the same for you. Mm-hmm. We need to be in that place. And, and that's the movement from being, a, you know, 
back to our original topic from uh, in a in a church setting from being someone who is who's primarily receiving to someone who is also giving out mm-hmm. you know and um I when in a lot of my uh, formative years in ministry my wife and I were part of a conservative uh, reformed church in Sydney wonderful wonderful folks dear folks I mean I learned you know how to preach there and how to lead there and and many rich things I don't ascribe to everything theologically that they hold to, but mm-hmm. some great things that I learned uh, there. And once um, very high level of expectations when you would preach at that place, um, which I did a few times or a number of times, um, but there was probably a fifth of the congregation would have had a bachelor's of theology and maybe half of them had a master's of theology, a few had doctorates. Mm very high intellectual sort of level expectation, mm-hmm. you know, um, when you bring the word. And this is, I love that church, but this is one thing that I think was not a positive side. Mm. Um, because one person once said to me, um, I don't want anybody preaching who knows less than I do about the word. <laughs> and um, and you think about that, you think, well, that makes sense because you want someone, if someone's going to be the person who the community's chosen to be you know, um, exegeting the word of God, you want them to know their onions at least a little bit. The trouble comes, though, when you think, well, so you're perpetually going to be a consumer mm. because hopefully we're all growing as we're nutting through what it means to follow Christ and be in community and understand his word and so on. And so what? Do they need then a doctorate? Or what if, you know, you've been with the Lord 20 years? Should they have two doctorates? Should they... Like how far do you go? Mm-hmm. And it's posturing yourself as an eternal uh, kind of perennial uh, consumer mm-hmm. whilst actually we're to be participants, to use your term mm-hmm. anyway. Mm. Well, it's we've already been – there's a question that I wanted to ask you mm-hmm. um, that we've already kind of been answering it, but I'll just be pointed about it. And if, if you've got more in the tank, then great. If not, we'll move on. But one of the things you, – you're sharing this beautiful story about – how God's been impressing on your heart recently to just to, to have a heart that looks more like his than it does like your own little black one. <laughs> and you're um, asking God to help you experience compassion for people more. And you shared this story of, you know, in your car, I live, I live w- with you up in the mm. community of Oceanside mm-hmm. and we've got a lot of, of neighbors who are homeless. Mm. And mm. you had this experience of seeing a, a woman pushing a, a cart full of detritus and that and experiencing kind of instinctively going to a place of judgment of wondering about, well, hey, what what bad choices did she make that, you know, landed her in such mm. dire straits? And then mm. then encountering more of God's heart and feeling broken about that. And um, being filled with a deeper kind of compassion towards her. And so I'm kind of curious, uh, why is it that, cause I look around me and I don't think of our culture as a particularly compassionate one. Um, mm. I think I, when I think of the America that I've grown up in, uh, I, I do think that there's not to say there is a total lack of compassion at all. Um, there's, we care. There's all sorts of wonderful community organizations and churches that care deeply about the poor and uh, have been trying to address or alleviate the, the suffering that comes from being marginalized economically or socially or um, or ethnically in all sorts of different capacities. But you just you have a unique perspective because you you were raised in Australia, which is a culture that has some similarities but great difference. So I'm wondering. Um, if you could reflect for a second about, Hey, why are, why do we struggle to be compassionate people? I mean, as Americans, surely some of it's rooted in our radical individualism. You already mentioned, Hey, independence. Um, sure. There's great value to it and importance. Um, and man, we, that's, that's a term. We have a declaration of independence, you know, (laughs) that our country is founded on and freedom, freedom of choice, freedom to express yourself, to believe whatever. I mean, that's, you know, that's one of the sacred cows that we hold here. Mm. And, uh, it's one that I don't always think conforms entirely to the image of Christ. And, Mm. and obviously we've already named that consumption is a, or just capitalist consumer, um, mentality is something that is so deeply ingrained in our culture. Are there any other things that you just kind of have observed in your 
eight and a half years. Uh, by the way, congratulations on becoming a, an official U.S. citizen. Well, I haven't had the ceremony yet. I, uh, in fact, as we're doing this podcast today, my wife is um, is taking her citizenship e- exam. So as I joked in at least one of the services, I've been cohabiting with the enemy for the last uh, week because um, we had to juggle the, the kids. Um, but yeah, but hey, you know, one thing I will I will say this, I because um, I think there's a, a dissonance at points because I will say I've experienced, and in fact to the point where I can say I know um, American culture at least as much as I know it, Southern California and San Diego culture, the culture of our church, to be overwhelmingly generous, mm. like outrageously generous in a God-honoring way. Dozens and dozens and dozens of times have I seen that uh, in action, uh, experienced that, um, been, you know. So, so I will say, um, you know, comparable to, to Australia, and there are some cultural uh, similarities, um, but very overwhelmingly generous. Mm. Your, your question, though, is, is wider at times we find that we lack compassion um, you know, introspecting for for a little bit. I think it's because I trend towards the analytical uh, often enough as, as the first port of call. And so I start to think, well, wh- what is it? Why is someone in that place? Why has that person not been able to get out of that place? What, you know, mixture of their own decisions and their, you know, human volition and, and whatnot is involved in that rather than my first thought being, I wonder what terrible life circumstances have led them to be in that place. Mm. I will say you need, you actually, I think, need both. Mm-hmm. In fact, an interesting conversation I had with um, this couple on the grass after the uh, the morning um, service that we had, and they're, they're working uh, with homeless to try and help them. Um, but But people either trend, and most folks trend this way, especially most folks in our church, trend towards high compassion. Mm. Some folks trend towards high accountability, but I think in and of themselves, neither of those is sufficient, but together they can be powerful. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, that's why our partners, at, um, Kelly and, and the team, uh, um, are fostering our relationships with uh, try to exceed at both. Mm-hmm. Because, for instance, on that one particular issue, you know, uh, there's heaps of, um, homeless ministries in North County, and they're wonderfully motivated. They're good people, and they really, you know, and they go and hand out food or help people have showers and things like that. But actually, if you sit down and think about it, if uh, one of our homeless friends, our homeless neighbours, if they can get seven hot meals a week or 21 hot meals, I mean three hot meals a day, mm-hmm. does that really solve their ongoing problems? Because they obviously have um, accommodation, you know, insecurity, but... But really, many of them are carrying um, sorts of trauma and PS, uh, PTSD, mm-hmm. um, drug and alcohol issues, there's mental health issues. There's, sometimes there's just indolence and, and lack of desire to work or capacity to, to work. And mm. so really, they need accountability. They need compassion. But compassion by itself is not enough. Mm-hmm. So they actually need high accountability as well, loving accountability. And so... That's why I enjoy the partners like Bread of Life and San Diego Rescue Mission who we work with because they work at, at doing both. I know I'm not answering your question directly. Um, I think in the end, honestly, it's because um, we, me, I lack uh, the empathy to walk a mile in another man's shoes. Mm. And I think if I were to do that, I would probably come out and be less dreadfully judgmental uh, than I am. That's my, that's my answer. Um, well, you can't help yourself. You're just so good at it. <laughs> I am. I know I am. I don't like to judge. I just am so good at it. <laughs> um, well, Hey, there's, I appreciate those thoughts and I actually appreciate the way that you answered it. It, it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't lofty. It was very boots on the ground and very applicable to our church and our, our local community. So, Um, thanks. Thanks for those reflections. A couple other things before we move to kind of the nerd zone in terms of, Hey, is there stuff that didn't make it into the sermon that we want to talk about or unpack a little bit more that perhaps was too nerdy and not germane (laughs) to the main points that you were trying to make you, uh, 
I, I wanted to ask you, well, I mean, we had, we've been talking about some kind of loftier, more complex things. So really briefly, three questions that you should be able to answer pretty quickly. <laughs> In the sermon, you use two words that I want you to define. One is temerity. What does temerity mean? Um, kind of uh, outrageous audacity, like mm. reckless or outrageous audacity. Like, a, you know, you have the temerity to come to me and to ask me for a can of Coke when you've got a fridge full of Cokes or, you know, <laughs> yeah, sort of, it's outrageous. Okay. It's like, it's, it's, it's not just audacious, it's outrageously audacious. Yeah, outrageously audacious yeah. word for the so many for many people word of the day temerity <laughs> outrageously audacious okay the other one quintessence oh did i say that i apologize a bit ostentatious but um so you know some things are essential mm-hmm. but then what is the most essential mm. that is the quintessential thing mm-hmm. you know um so if there was you know, if you'd say, oh, the, the quintessential thing about, I don't know, uh, marriage would be uh, putting the other person before yourself mm. or, you know, or such. It's it's the, the there's other things that are essential, you know, um, what's that saying? Necessary, but not sufficient. There's lots of other things. There's probably 15 other things that make for a happy marriage. But if there's one thing, if if you could just take one thing away, you only had one thing you could share with a young couple about, you know, mm-hmm. so it's what is the most, what is the most essential thing? Mm. Okay. Third question. You referred to the gospels as biographies. Mm. Do you think that's true? Are they biographies? I, I believe they are. Yeah. I mm. believe they're the um, first century equivalents of that. And I, I, I actually employ that term, um, intentionally um, to help folks who are not au fair with, with our language mm. in church circles. We use the word, you know, gospel, mm-hmm. and but it means different things depending on the context. Are you talking about the five fundamentals that make, if it's five or is it eight or is it three or is it nine, mm-hmm. depending how you slice and dice it on, uh, you know, the work of Christ mm-hmm. or is the gospel uh, one of those written um, by, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or, or John. Um, you know, so I use the term biography because it's a it's more like common parlance that, that people know. If someone was to come in and they were not from a Christian setting, um, this, this came home to me once I was speaking somewhere and a guy came up to me after um, the, the, um, the service and um, actually a guy who later on, uh, came away. Him and his partner came away with us on a on a trip uh, and our our home group, and and later on came to the Lord. Amazing story. But mm. at this time, he's unsaved. At this moment, he mm. came up to me, and um, and he'd been dragged there to the church by his partner, and he said, "Oh, you know, interesting. Yeah, um, really it was great music." And he said, "And uh, an interesting talk you gave." He said, "You don't believe all that." And he used a word here that sounds like ship. He said, you don't believe all that, you know, do you? And I just laughed and I said, well, actually, you know, yeah, I do, you know. And, and we had this great conversation. But, but anyway, during the conversation, he said to me, Nick, when you were talking, you, you talked about um, these, these people, um, Jesus, you talked about, and then you talked about this guy, Christ. Mm. He said, tell me, um, how, is there a connection between those two people? Mm. And it just like a ton of bricks um, hit me and has stayed with me ever since. Like we use language assuming that people know what we're meaning. Mm-hmm. But if someone what was, you know, from outside Christianity coming in, how would, why would they know? Mm-hmm. Why would they know that Jesus and Christ are the same? But we, I use the term synonymously, I think, in that, mm-hmm. must have in that sermon. And so, so back to this question, you know, I think that they are uh, first century accounts by people who were either eyewitnesses or in John Mark's case, writing off of the eyewitness account of Peter in, um, in Luke's case, writing off of other people's mm-hmm. uh, eyewitness accounts that are first century biographies of the life of Jesus Christ. So they're not exactly in the way that we would use mm-hmm. the term biography today, but they're close enough. And the reason I employ it is, um, so anyway, I've given a, a long answer to a simple question again. Sorry, mate. 
Congratulations. It's like you have a background in law. <laughs> uh, um, well, hey, there's there's all sorts of other things that we could talk about. I, I you know, Herodians show up in this text, and I know you actually addressed the some of the different sects that were present during the time of of the gospels mm-hmm. and so we don't need to belabor that too much if people want to i'd encourage you to go back and listen to nick's wonderful sermon that happened right before we launched the mark series because mm-hmm. uh, you did a good job of breaking it down but could you really quickly just remind us who herodians are and do you ever do you see like a present day analog to that well, well, the second question might get me in hot water, but the the uh, the first question. Good. Yes. <laughs> no, no. Um, the, the the first one. I mean, so uh, there's a correlation. I, I think historically a strong correlation between the Sadducees and the Herodians. The, the Sadducees, of course, were were um, theologically pretty liberal, um, and they um, didn't believe in in demons. Um, questioned things like the afterlife, no, belief in angels, didn't believe in there being supernatural things or whatnot. Contradistinction, by the way, to like the Pharisees or, you know, to the Essenes or any of these other sects. But the, the Sadducees um, believed in gaining ascendancy and power through political uh, means. Mm. Um, and, and they were often in cahoots. Um, and some of them... Uh, who uh, kind of like a sub part of that, who particularly wanted the Herodian dynasty. Mm. Uh, we've heard of King Herod, mm-hmm. and Herod Agrippa, and you know, like so. Um, so that was that sect that were in particular pushing the wheelbarrow of the um, of the Herodian dynasty, mm-hmm. um, and so of the the Herod and, and his dynasty. So they they were the Herodians. They were in cahoots mm-hmm. with Rome. So that's why. I mean, this is such a full, um, you know, Mark 3 is just a million and three things going on. But part of it was, you know, that it was a very unlikely partnership between the Pharisees, mm. who were the fundamentalists kind of of their day, and the Herodians, who were the, you know, the, the, the liberal ones who used power. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so <laughs> is, is there a modern equivalent? I think there, there is. It's not an exact one. But I can think of not uh, not just a few of us Christians who would want to um, seek power and power over through political means. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't uh, as as a as a whole. I don't think that that is the way of the cross. The, the cross is is power under, mm. not power over, and it's you know. Um, but uh, yeah, some folks who. We think that you know, if we just got a Christian in the White House, if we just got a Christian or more Christians in the in the Senate, we just got more Christians in the in the House. Mm. You know, the um, four hundred and thirty-five. If if even we could just get you know two hundred and fifty of them mm. uh, in Congress who were who Christians, and I'm just not convinced. You mm. know, um, because the trouble is. I don't know. It seems politically that everyone's a Christian. They're all just so Christian. And so, you know, therefore you must, and on all sides mm. of the political divide, apparently they're all Christians. I'm like, I don't think that word means what you think it means, you know? <laughs> um, but, uh, but I think when, when we, when we conceive of using earthly power to gain ascendancy rather than the power of the cross, mm. um, I, I think That's that good. that would be my, my rough. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I asked that question because it, it it does like in the gospel accounts these different groups that show up to me they they almost they represent a spirit or a posture that isn't unique to you know first century Palestine right that's uh, it's it lives on in us in me today I know I mean it was you know confessing to you before we started recording that ah oh, man I it's uncomfortable. It's, it's uncomfortable for me to spend too long looking at the Pharisees because I ultimately will end up seeing parts of my own face emerge because, well, I'm overeducated. I've spent too, like, once again, I, you know, I, I use all sorts of insider language. I, uh, I can, I've spent way too many, um, years of my life being concerned with labeling whether or not people were in or out, you know, mm. uh, and, Fundamentally, that's not the posture that Christ has. In fact, uh, you know, 
he marks a subversive inclusivity in a lot of different ways mm-hmm. uh, that mm-hmm. is, you know, directly rebukes my own pharisaical, you know, tendency. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even when you're describing the church community that you served or you came from in Australia and that, that person who said, well, I, you know, I only want somebody who's preaching, um, to, you know, know more than, than me. And it's like, yeah, I definitely have had, I, I definitely have thought that thought before and have definitely, uh, without really listening with an open heart, um, delegitimized somebody because, well, they don't, they never went to seminary, you know, um, right. when I have, I, I haven't received the invitation to slow down and to ask myself the question, well, Hey, wait a second. Does this person's life look a lot more like Christ than mine. Mm. Um, is it, is it bearing fruit in the way that his does? Uh, because that far more than degrees is something that we should probably give weight to. Right. And it's, yeah, it's also terrifically anthropocentric because it's, it's related to the person right? mm-hmm. rather than actually it's the word. And, mm. and even through the most unlikely of play, even through my children, mm. I've learned so much in following in following Jesus. Um, yeah. Mm. Well, Nick, I'm I'm curious if there's anything that exists in the nerd zone realm, which is just kind of like the cutting room floor. There's a, you know, stuff that didn't quite make it into the sermon, and people are probably glad that yeah. <laughs> didn't. Well, not everybody. You know, part of the reason why this podcast exists is because we uh, there's a lot of wonderful, beautiful nerds that are part of our church and they're the ones who are going to listen to this podcast. Everybody else has probably turned it off long ago or mm. won't ever come and listen. And that's fine. We, right. we bear, you no no ill will. I, you know, gladly fly the nerd flag myself. I mean, I was homeschooled at one point, so it feels like you, you just, <laughs> you can't go through that experience without coming out the other side of nerd in some ways. Um, so I know we threw a couple of different things up on the board, but is there anything that kind of stands out to you that, that, you know, uh, in your study and preparation that you found interesting, uh, or worth sharing, but maybe it didn't make it in. Well, the, the, the answer is a lot because I mean, Mark three is just such a full chapter. Like I said, uh, you know, in, in the intro yesterday, it's got, it's got murder plots. It's got, grieving the Holy Spirit, the eternal sin. Mm. It's got this issue of between earthly family and spiritual family. Um, you know, there's um, the appointing of, of the 12, the apostles, you know, there's a Sabbath things. So there's just like so many things that you can mm-hmm. go off to the left and, and right on. Uh, I mean, really, um, any one of those things is due a, a deeper study and, and more reflection in and of themselves. Um, so yeah, my, my answer is a lot, a lot that, you know, I, I didn't talk about. Um, but I think, you know, God's, God's economy in that, um, hopefully it, uh, I tried to, like I said, the, the impression on my heart was that it needed to cohere around that understanding of covenant community. Mm-hmm. So some things that, you know, didn't, uh, you know, didn't get in, I suppose, were because they weren't in alignment with that. Mm. Yeah, but anything in particular, any thread you want to pull, because you know, the, well, you know, I the think will in come the, apart. In, yeah, in the in the brief time that we spent, you know, uh, putting our 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 two brain cells together about this, a couple of things that ended up on the board here is well, Jesus in anger, calling in, calling out, conspiracy theory handbook, Sabbath, oh, demons, yeah. modern slavery. Oh gosh! Do you wow. want to pick any well, one of those and take a crack at it? Three hours worth of talking. So, <laughs> so you know, um, the the it's it's a like it's a actually a really sobering part where you know Jesus after asking them on on the Sabbath should we do do good or do evil? Mm-hmm. You know, should we save life or 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 kill? You know, and and they they don't answer because mm-hmm. they know that the the, uh, the Pharisees and those who are of that mindset in the synagogue, those who are even under the sway of the Pharisees, which I imagine was, was most people, even though, you know, numerically Pharisees were a very small number. They were very influential, mm-hmm. uh, instilled a lot of fear uh, in folks, I, I think. Um, but nobody said anything. Mm. And Jesus looks around at them in anger and, you know, I think it's ESV and also I think King James Version, it says he was grieved at the hardness of their hearts. 
And um, and what does righteous anger look like? Mm. I mean, that's a big that's a big question. That's oh. a you know, what does normal anger look like? Because you know, um, anger in and of itself is not sinful. But honestly, most of the time, most of my anger is not righteous anger. <laughs> most of my anger is because I'm a little bit put out or I'm a little bit annoyed or I'm, how can they dare do this? How can they have the temerity? There we go. Ooh. There's the use of the wording. And like, you know, and so. Bonus um, point. Right. Um, but, uh, but righteous anger comes from a righteous place and leads to spirit fruit. Mm. Does it lead to love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control? So, so here, Jesus' anger came from a righteous place, came from pure compassion for this man who'd been, under, we don't know for how many years, but had been under this, um, mm. this uh, awful place of having a physical disability and been looked down upon socially, perhaps religiously and all that. And he, it's a Sabbath, but he wants to heal the guy, you mm. know. It comes from this place of compassion and it leads to good fruit. I mean, he speaks and the, and the, guy's, the guy's healed. So that, that's, a, that's a big thing. What, what that you're referencing, and I put it in the, the notes that are online. I heard this, I was driving home from church one night or one afternoon, I think it was, um, you know, five or six. And, um, and on NPR, I heard this, um, this discussion. Um, so both these things I'm about to say are from a secular um, perspective and all that. So just be aware of that if you're someone who um, finds that problematic. Um, I don't because I think God's truth is, um, is bigger than, than, uh, than we think it is. But anyway, um, it, was, it was a discussion um, with, uh, by, by the host, uh, Manoush Zomorodi. Um, she does the, the TED Talk Hour on NPR. Mm. And, um, and she was interviewing uh, Loretta J. Ross, who was talking about about calling people in rather than calling them out. She was talking about how we have a calling out culture, mm-hmm. sort of naming and shaming and, and so on. And she's got particular and very strong opinions, Loretta J. Ross, some of which I, I am absolutely at, at odds with. Mm-hmm. But I loved the methodology that she was talking about. Um, and she was talking about what does it look like if someone has an outrageous opinion and they express it in a public setting or at a wedding, I think was an example she gave. And, uh, and she said, what would it look like to call that person in, to call them back to a, a nobler self mm. rather than, than, than calling them out? That's an outrageous opinion. That's just prejudiced or that's just racist or that's whatever. Mm-hmm. Calling them in, saying... Uh, you know, I, I know you to be a, a kind person and I've seen the compassion. I've seen how you deal with your children or, you know, how you deal with whatever your your dog or whatever it is, you know. Um, and so uh, so I'm at odds to think how, how that can align with this opinion that you're expressing about whatever it is, undocumented immigrants or, or mm-hmm. something like that. You know, so you're calling, you're calling to the nobler part of them. Mm. And so it's a little bit of a semantic thing, but I thought it was a really interesting way and instructive for us. Mm-hmm. And on the tails of that, something came up in my men's group, this discussion, um, and the resource actually as well I put in the sermon notes is called The Conspiracy Theory Handbook by two ac- academics from my uh, alma mater, uh, or one of them, um, in uh, University of Western Australia. But anyway, it's... um. It's how do you deal with folks who have these wild conspiracy theories? Mm. And it talks about the difference between something that's a true conspiracy or something that's like a, you know, like, because there are conspiracies that go on. Mm-hmm. So they're not all wild <laughs> and outlandish, right? But, you know, but how do you approach Like the someone? moon landing. What's that? Like the moon landing. <laughs> like the moon or the earth being flat, you know, <laughs> and so on. And, um, but how do we... How can we approach that? And it's really fascinating. It's a short mm. booklet. I encourage anyone to go and have a look at it on, online. Um, but it's it's both it's 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 helpful and it's instructive um, because the the end point of it is it gives you some practical helps about how to talk with that uncle with outrageous opinions. Or heck, we might be that uncle with outrageous <laughs> opinions, right? But but how do you approach that? And also the the thing that. Just the quintessential thing. There you go. There's the other word that comes out of it. Double bonus. <laughs> is this that um, 
that is actually, uh, believe it or not, it's counterintuitive, but it's not logic that helps someone come out of mm-hmm. a conspiracy theory, question the conspiracy. Because, and I, this is my problem. I just use logic and I get a big logic hammer and I just smash them on the head until, <laughs> you know. But what it does is it pushes the conspiracy deeper and they say, well, you only say that because of something else. Uh-huh. The conspiracy is deeper than you think it is, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, and that doesn't help. Logic, believe it or not, doesn't help. What does help is listening empathetically mm. and actually relationship to but not compromising, not saying that you agree with their belief about the earth being flat or there being no, you know, uh, changes in climate or whatever the thing is. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, uh, what it is is staying in relationship with them, saying, oh, that's what you think. Oh, fascinating. Tell me why and tell me why and tell me why to kind of exhaust their their um, thing on it, and then you're in this relationship with them where even if you don't get to, you know, give your 15 bullet points as to why you disagree with them in logic, they, after a while, people start to think, well, they're not such an unreasonable person. Mm. And it's now the fourth person who, you know, has suggested that they don't think the earth is in fact flat mm. and, and relationship is actually what helps us. So mm. what does a collective corrective look like in our day and age, you know, um, I often joke about this in, you know, 500 years ago, if I had an outrageous opinion, I'd just be the village idiot and you guys would all tell me to be quiet because I'm being a twit. But nowadays, with this democratisation of information, the the interweb, mm-hmm. you know, the worldwide weirdness, that, that I go on there and I found a community and I know you're saying the world's not flat, but I've got all these other people who understand me. They understand it's flat. They understand we've been lied to for all these years, actually, that there's marshmallows off the end of the Pacific Ocean or whatever. And I've got this commu- this false community now mm-hmm. of all these accumulated village idiots, you know, um, that in the past would have been corrected, but mm-hmm. now we don't have that. So how do we do that? How do we have a uh, collective corrective in our age? Yeah. So that was one thing. I mean, yeah, you can tell that's, that's the very tip of the, that's the very, just the opening of the rabbit hole, which down you could dive. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. Demons. Demons. <laughs> Not a conspiracy. Actual, <laughs> actually real. I mean, there's different um, biblical, you know, opinions on this by biblically astute uh, scholars, but I think I take a pretty orthodox view on that one Mm. that I think, you know, a third of the angels in heaven are revolted with Lucifer, with who we know as Satan Mm. and were cast out of heaven. Um, And now uh, these spiritual beings are disembodied beings who can um, um, become embodied in sometimes animals or as we're going to see in Mark 5, or sometimes uh, in humans even, with demon possession and demon oppression, and that's another discussion for another time. But but I believe I believe they're real. I've seen enough stuff to know that um, or to strongly believe that, that they're real. Mm. Um, it, and let me say um, it is... Um, it is scary, but for Jesus, it's a it's a world that my wife, especially, she got saved out of the occult and a lot of really dark stuff, um, and and so her even more so than me, you know, has an understanding of the reality of that. But mm. I've seen enough to know. Um, or I've got to be careful with my words, but to to strongly believe that that they are real. So I don't think conspiracy. I think very real. I think, as the Bible says it, I think is is how it is. I think that we go around um, kind of like, you know, those filters where you, there's special glasses where you can see heat signatures and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, I think if we could see the spiritual reality swirling around us, we would both be aghast and amazed at it. I think we see the tiniest fragment, you know, of, of what is going on. Mm. Um. Yeah, and especially in the West, um, we don't often deal with this stuff. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's not real. One thing I will say, because there's different theories about why don't we in the West and are we now so sophisticated if we outgrown demons or mm-hmm. that was just a myth from the past or whatever. I think, honestly, it's because 
I don't need to bother with this too much. Mm. Like, you know, God is infinite in his, in his power. I believe that. Satan is finite in his power. I absolutely believe that. So Satan needs to get bang for his buck. Mm. So why would he bother, um, you know, needing to, you know, possess us and make us, you know, writhe on the floor when he can just give us internet porn? I mean, it's way more efficient. Mm. You can bring down, you know, multitudes of men with with some ridiculous website. That's it's just more efficient. Mm. He needs to get bang for his buck. Um, so God, on the by contrast, is infinite in his power and and is able to overcome. But yeah, I don't think I don't think they're controversial. Um, at least not not to me, not that one. Mm. <laughs> Well, we've been at it for almost an hour, so I feel like we should probably wind wind things down. But is there a... We talked about Conspiracy Theory Handbook. We talked about demons. We talked about this idea of calling in versus calling out, which I do think is a really just a powerful way for us to reorient how we think about we engage with people. Um, Christ followers were people who should model his willingness to move towards people. Um, and to engage them, but we didn't, we didn't talk about Sabbath and we didn't talk about modern slavery, which were the only other two things up on the board in nerd zone. So, uh, any, uh, any, any little nuggets you want to drop on either of those? If not, that's totally fine. We can wrap things up. Well, Sabbathing, the rhythm of Sabbath is important and good. And without it, we will ultimately falter Mm. or not. Ultimately we will in short order, we will falter if we don't have rhythms of, of rest, you know. I'm not a legalistic Sabbatarian. I don't believe it's a certain day of the week. I don't believe it should be with a certain frequency. Um, uh, not this side of, of Christ. Christ mm. is the fulfillment of the law and he's our Sabbath rest. I do, however, uh, just know practically and believe biblically that, um, that if we're not having frequent uh, times of margin and rest, and that looks different for you than for me. For you, it might be going for a run. For me, it might be reading a book. For other people, you know, it's different, right? Mm. But that which is nourishing to our souls um, is vital, and more and more so in our in our crazy, fractured, atomized world. So mm-hmm. that's Sabbath for you. Um, there's a core truth to it, a principle to it, but not legalistically administered. The the modern slavery thing, actually, um, I didn't have time to to talk about that. But it came out of a um, it came out of a, a report that I sent around to the pastors and directors a little while ago, um, and it was from the International Labor uh, Organization, which is a um, uh, it's a um, and and the report was saying that in the last three years there's actually been an uptick in in global slavery. Mm. It's that's it's part of the UN. So they they look at broad statistics globally of what's going on, and actually um, there's over uh, fifty million fifty million people today who are enslaved in some form or another. Some it's indentured servitude, some it's been married off, and often very young, mm. um, and typically women, almost always women actually, who who are married off against their will and effectively raped and, and in these awful situations. So it takes different forms. That's an enormous number of people, mm. more people than are in the state of California. You think about this, this kind of scope of human misery. And in fact, in fact, there's more slaves alive today, 2022 AD, than there has been at any other point of human history. Not proportionately, because there were times when a greater proportion of the total human population was enslaved. But um, so all that to say that that friends, we have a lot of work to do. I, I I do absolutely believe the quintessence of the gospel is um is eternal salvation. That Jesus has come and finished with our sin. He rose victorious over sin and death. He's vanquished death, and he gives us his victory to be stewards of that and stewards of the gospel message. I do believe in the primacy of the gospel and not, but, and I believe that on this side of eternity, we have a clarion call to be those who bind up the brokenhearted and set the captives free. So for things like this, I believe we cannot not act. 
Mm. Our silence is insufficient. Our inaction is um, it's inexcusable. Um, and I think the church should be leading in this uh, mm. in every way. We, we have the truth. We have peace. We have each other. Friends, we have so much. So what are we going to do with it? Mm. I think it's a perfect, I think uh, gospel and call to action is a perfect place to end the conversation. Mm-hmm. So Nick, thanks so much for what you poured into this weekend and just serving us at all three services with a, a wonderful message and the richness of Mark 3. And thanks for letting me pick your brain a little bit about uh, some of the themes and the topics and the characters that we saw in this chapter. And uh, yep, look forward to another conversation with you in the future. See you all soon. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of the Just Follow Jesus podcast. For more information about the series or our church, you can visit northcoastcalvarychapel.org. We also still have some copies of a special coffee table quality journal that we designed and put together to accompany this series in the Gospel of Mark. This whole podcast is a resource of North Coast Calvary Chapel. It's produced and directed by Joseph Carlson. The editing has been done by Nate King, and the music is by the one and only Brian McMaster. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.